Are you a hairdresser or barber? Do you want to take your career to the next level but unsure how? Then this is the podcast for you. Hello and welcome to The Successful Stylist Unfoiled. I'm your host, Crystal Wilson. I've worked in the hair and beauty industry for the last 10 years, working my way up through some of the largest salons from each corner of the globe. Throughout my career, I've always been infatuated with the industry influencers, the people who have been able to make a name for themselves and have a flourishing career as a hairstylist. On this podcast, I'll be sitting down and talking to hair and beauty professionals who have taken their career to the next level. The ones who have gone from working behind the chair to exploring another avenue within the industry. From the platform artists, educators, business owners, TV and celebrity stylists, published, self-employed, brand-sponsored, and more, I'm sitting down and asking them how they've done it. I know these accolades can seem unattainable, so I'm making it my mission to break down the barriers, stereotypes, and simplify the process to make the dreams that you have more attainable. Join me every week on The Successful Stylist Unfoiled. I'm back. I am super excited to have Dee Parker Atwood on today, who is Australian Hairdresser of the Year, two times in a row, actually. So I had a funny little um, serendipitous moment with her and we had the AHIA Hair Awards in Sydney, which were on and off and on and off. And I ended up being in Sydney, but didn't end up going to the awards and had major FOMO when I was watching online, trying to watch online, I guess, because the stream wouldn't go through. And I was watching being like, oh, I'm missing these amazing moments to start chatting with people and trying to get them on the podcast. And anyway, as fate had it, my flight home was a flight that Dee and the Weaselman crew were on. And I was sat behind her. So being the um, not so shy person that I am, I gave her a little tap on the shoulder and said, congratulations. And we got chatting and I thought that was my prime moment to hone in and get her on the podcast. So I asked if she would like to continue riding the wave of the night and come on and talk to us about the win and about her career. So not only did we talk about shooting the collection and all of the tips that she has for people when they are going to do that and how to get to Australian hairdresser of the year and the steps that it takes and that there's a lot more than just the photos. There's actually the written submissions and things that you need to do to be involved in a part of the industry. So I thought that was really cool for people to hear and we just started at the beginning as I always do of how she got into the industry and made her way from New Zealand to Australia what's next she's a salon owner and yeah I just really loved hearing her story and I felt like that plane ride was a bit of fate I don't think she knows but after she after I was sitting behind her before I even asked her to be on the podcast I do these little things that I'm like if I if I start writing questions it'll put it out into the universe that she'll come on so I had a couple things that I was writing on my phone while I was sitting behind them on the on the plane of thinking of what I'd love to ask if she came on so some of that was if it was just as exciting to win the second time as it was the first time like which one was more exciting and you'll hear her talk us through that and also what this past year led to this collection the collection is stunning and beautiful and I'll include it obviously in the Instagram feed for the podcast for this episode but I love the collection and I was lucky she sent me all the details when we were about to record um, of the background of 
the collection and that being something bright and cheerful was what we all needed. And it is just a stunning collection. I loved it from the moment I saw it. So I am so grateful and privileged to get to chat with her. And I hope that you really can listen and learn and be inspired on how to get the next generation and get new hairdressers into this industry and knowing how much we can do. So enjoy this chat. Okay. Today, I'm just going to swap our view here so that we're both in it for YouTube. I am with Australian Hairdresser of the Year, Dee Parker Atwood. Welcome. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Crystal. Thanks for having me. This has been good. I've been on a little mini break, I'd say. I had a bit of time off and I think as soon as all the award stuff was happening, I'm like, you are going to be my perfect segue back into it. And just to ride the wave of this exciting moment for you. And how funny that we saw each other on the plane. <laughs> oh my God, that was just meant to be. So oh, I, I know. See, but I didn't end up going to the awards. It was so, everything was last minute and crazy. And by the time our table had all separated, I was like, I'm just going to spend the time with my friends. And serendipity had it that I was sitting behind you on the plane home. I know it was crazy. I mean, we were actually looking back, we were really lucky to even get there. You know, the way that Sydney is oh two weeks God, later, forget it, you know, the yeah. awards would have been off. So totally. really, um, and you know, everything just ran in our favor and we got to have them and it was a really amazing night. So. Oh, good. Well, before we get into that, I feel like what I like to do is start from the beginning and then we'll work our way into this like peak of your career, maybe, or a big moment. But maybe because you and I don't have this relationship that maybe you know my story, I thought I might share a little bit of what I'm trying to do with this platform with you. Great, great. And Tell me. Yeah. That it, it sounds cool. quite aligned when I was reading through, I get everyone to send me their bio before I record. And something that really stuck out for me was that your purpose and passion is to attract young people to the industry. And what I really felt like I wanted to do during my time in lockdown was figure out what my next step was for myself. And when I was thinking about those things, I thought I have these dreams and these visions of getting to that next step, but I sometimes feel like I'm not qualified to get there. Like as in this, just a hairdresser thing, which is this horrible feeling that I think we can often get as hairdressers that we didn't go to university or we didn't do something further that we won't understand different avenues within the industry. And so that's so true. You know, like it it holds you back a little bit thinking like, oh, I'd love to get into salon ownership, but I don't know anything about business or, you know, all these things that from learning and talking to people, I've learned that nobody knows what they're doing. (laughs) You figure it out as you go. Absolutely. And I guess as if you're passionate, and I always say this to everyone, what does it, people ask me, what does it take to be a good hairdresser? And I'm like, you have to love hair. Mm-hmm. If you love hair and love doing hair, then everything else can be taught. That yes. is something that can't be taught. It's something that you just feel yeah, totally. that you want to, you look at somebody and you think, I would love to do this on them. This would look, they would look amazing like that. Or, you know, you, you know, hairdressing is not a nine to five job. And, you know, even for me, I, I come home from work and that's, my brain is still ticking over and I'm thinking about hair. Yeah. Uh, I've got the worst attention span. I can't even watch Netflix or watch something and, you know, completion. <laughs> you're looking at the hair in um, the show. <laughs> yeah. And I'm on Instagram looking at hairdressers overseas because I know that someone's doing, you know, fashion week is on in Paris or something like that. And, you know, it's just like, if, unless you don't, if that's a great place to start if you love doing hair and you want to do hair then you know everything else can be taught and I truly believe that 
Yeah. And I think that a lot of times people don't realize the broadness of the industry, that it isn't just working behind the chair, which is an amazing element of it too. And there's people who have no um, desire for more that fills their cup enough that they love going into the salon. But I knew for me, that was never going to be the only avenue I wanted in the industry, but I didn't know kind of where to go and navigate into the next thing. So these conversations have really broadened and I've had people on from, yeah, international and people who are just starting out and really had great success and people 40 years in or 50 years in some of them that really had such insight. So I wanted to create a platform that I hope to get into the colleges or the beauty schools to show them the potential and diversity that the industry can have. So I think you're a prime person to have on and contribute to that. I know. And it's amazing, you know, like um, the young people of today, they don't, you know, and people are not considering hairdressing. Like, yeah. you know, we have had an apprentice, we've had an ad for an apprentice up for six, mate, uh, six months and very limited response. And I don't yeah. understand, you know, why, why it's such an amazing industry. It can take you so many different avenues, like you said, yeah. you know, and, and I look around my salon, we've got 24 staff. You know, some hairdressers are just happy going to work, doing their clients and leaving. Yeah. That's, 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 they're happy with that. They don't want any more. They don't want to be on stage. They don't want to, you know, do competitions like I do. They don't want to do creative. They just want to make women look beautiful and men look beautiful and then and go, to, and go home. And then there's other hairdressers where that is not enough. And there's just something inside them that, you know, whether they want to get into session work um, and you know set trends rather than do the trends yeah. um, or whether what they want to head down the competition route like myself and many others so there's yeah certainly many ways that people can head and it's a great industry did you always want to be a hairdresser how did this happen for you <laughs> were you always like so cre- I always am in awe of people who do collections and you know I really got my foot in the door in my salon at home. But then once I moved to Australia, I was working alongside Charlene. And that's when my mind was like, oh my God, like she could look at a stick and be like, that stick is the perfect inspiration, you know, for this thing. And my brain just does not work like that. So was that always creative for you? And then how did it translate into getting into hair? Well, um, actually, I'm from a family of hairdressers, and that's oh, actually yeah. um, actually quite a common, it's a common thread um, in the industry. My mum, my auntie um, oh, were hairdressers. Wow. I, so when I grew up, um, my school holidays were spent at the salon um, in New Plymouth, New Zealand, um, with my mum waiting for her to finish work. And she also had a little um, salon at home, which uh, God forbid back then, but, you know, she had a salon <laughs> at home. So I used to like go out there and play with my dolly heads when I was growing up and cut, you know, with her scissors, cut their hair. Yeah. And oh, so, yeah, yeah it's basically there's something that I identify about the smell mm. of salons like isn't there yeah. just you know oh my God. I grew yeah, yeah. then walking in as a kid it was my happy place perm lotion hairspray sitting lotion the smell <laughs> of the woman under the dryer with the rollers in and you know and when I walk into our salon I haven't been there I've been on holiday and walk back in that smell I don't know it yeah. just makes me happy it's, it's like when yeah, you so go I was, home or something I don't know if you go home and it smells like your house or like your best yes. friend's house it smells like that but you become yeah. accustomed to your own I completely agree when we went back to work after those two weeks I, I was like the smell like smell the smell yeah. there was just something about oh, it I so so I think it, I was ingrained in me from a very early age that and mum knew I mean I was doing haircuts at 12 years old 
Wow. And charging, you know, like three to five dollars for them. So <laughs> and all my friends, some You're of them were disastrous. I was charging for them and like, you know, by 16, I had a little mini clientele going on. So I think, you know, I was I always knew that I was gonna be a hairdresser. So there was no other industry for me. And I started my apprenticeship. I went, um, I was a teen tidy. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was, I started that when I was 14 years old at a local salon. And my mum said to me, the only thing that I really want for you is that I don't want to train you. And um, looking back, I'm really grateful with that because she said, you know, let's have a mother daughter relationship. Um, and I'm going to, you know, so she actually rung at the time New Plymouth. There's an amazing woman called Lindsay Lovridge who had four salons called Headquarters. Okay. Um, she's an institu- institution in New Zealand. She's an incredible trainer. She trained Patrick Cameron. Um, as well and um, so yeah she basically took me on and that's where it all began and yes it was a crazy crazy upbringing Um, yeah with the surrounded by hairdressers and then and then going into that salon and and Lindsay's so regimented with her training and I'm Mm -hmm. such an artist so I struggled with um, Mm -hmm. at first with being organized and you know being super you know the paperwork side of the apprenticeship (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know the paperwork um, side of the apprenticeship you know having the uh, all your equipment clean and tidy and ready to go and you know because I really I just wanted to get into it and, and learn and do here yeah um so there's always the one I, of us in the salon that's the messy one <laughs> always always and it's funny it is it's so true but now I'm really pedantic about my tools and if a comb goes missing or a clip goes missing I'm like having a heart where is everything who's took it you know yeah. um but back then I guess we were a kid and I, you know this is a I had a girl trial with me on Saturday who was 17 years old and she looked totally overwhelmed and when you're a 17 16 15 you're really just a kid so it's all just part of that learning process isn't it to become and I think you know, that you would be. be what would make you quite a good mentor and to be in that position that you're teaching the apprentices coming in to work for you because you were that person that was not fully involved like um understanding every aspect of it being like how am I going to be able to do this I'm not organized or you know those things come and you don't have to have every piece exactly like you said as long as you have that drive and that want to be doing hair the rest can be factored in if you get that um, I always say you know that aha feeling when you're finished doing someone's hair you know um and when you're finishing it that you can feel the body language of the client that they look that they love it and you love it and it's beautiful and healthy and shiny and looks gorgeous and that's a feeling that is the best feeling in the world you know yeah I felt like for a long time I didn't have that like I always wanted to do hair I had no plan b like that was it from I was cutting hair same as you I'm on a hill at recess you know doing that and then when I got into it it didn't come so naturally to me one of my girlfriends was in my course and she was like the best at it and I was like oh no like yeah you had to work harder what if I'm not good at it but it, it can be those things come now and I thought I remember doing foils and being like is this ever not going to take 10 hours like when am I ever going to understand where I'm putting them and those things do exactly. come. it just takes a bit of time and I do a lot of training and I see the frustration in yeah. people when they don't get things straight away. And I sort of look at, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. You've got to <laughs> go through the process of, you know, you, you do it once, it's terrible. And then slowly you keep practicing and you get better. And, you know, that's the thing. Um, another thing with young people, what's really funny is, um, you know, and I forget too, is when I look around at my younger self is that really they want to party, you know, and that sort of, uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, Very for her, 
They do, you know, and it's like, you know, they come to work on Tuesday, I look around, they all look exhausted. But at their age, I was exactly the same. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was like you work really hard, but then you play really, really hard as yeah. you get older. And when you get in a committed relationship, you don't need to go out as much and party. And that's when you really um, become committed to the industry, I reckon. So when you're young, you've got to be young and you've got to, you know, do what you need to do. And, you know, it's just funny just watching everyone make the, make the mistakes that I made. Have the fun. Well, that again, yeah, makes you understanding, right? So yeah, how absolutely. long were you working in that salon in New Zealand? And is that what opened your eyes to competition work or had your family been involved in that? How did it kind of take to the next level for you then? Um, well, so even when I was then, so we used to have the regional competitions in New Plymouth and around New Zealand. Um, I was um, like now, I was pretty obsessed with competing. So I used to, every weekend, I used to jump in my car and put models in the car and drive around New Zealand and compete in the local regional competitions. So I think I had like 108 first, second and third places. I won Apprentice of the Year um, as well for the whole of New Zealand. (laughs) So, (laughs) So I was, even then, I was like always really addicted to doing competitions. Cool. I love the excitement of the because co- they were all live. So yeah. nowadays there's a lot of commi- you know uh, collection based competitions yeah. in New Zealand. There's still a lot of live competitions where you take a model, um, and because I'm not a, I'm quite a confident person. I'm not really that nervy. Some people collapse on the competition floor because yeah. they knew that everyone was watching them and the time pressure, and you could see them shaking when they were cutting. You know, I was like that for a couple of minutes, and then I just got into doing the hair. And so yeah. you know that that really gave me. And we were encouraged to do them. It was. Yeah compulsory to enter um, at least one event and in those days you could make things compulsory nowadays you know with workplace and have you can't it's a little bit harder to make things compulsory Um, but those days were compulsory so yeah I just once I got that whiff of um, competing and then winning or not even winning but losing and learning from what I did wrong and then wanting to get it right the next time um, then I was basically the addiction started so off I went I love it and then how did you end up over here in Australia well, what happened was, is that I knew that I had to, um, that I'd done as much as I could in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. I was, um, I'd become a judge um, at that point. So then I became a judge of judging those competitions. And I knew that I wanted to further my skills. So I originally thought that I'd go to London. So I was going to stop in Melbourne. I had a boyfriend at the time. I was going to stop in Melbourne, um, but he had commitments in New Zealand. So he couldn't move to London. So we agreed to move to Melbourne and then see if we could move to London from there. Um, so when I arrived, I had did a lot of research. I had the top four salons in Melbourne. Um, I went for an interview at all of them. Three are no longer around. And one that oh. was then back, that was 22 years ago, uh, was Weaselman. And I don't know, I just walked in and I just, I felt like that was the home for me because I looked around and um, it was just, you know, full of glass. Yeah, yeah. And it was, I, I did an interview and I showed them all the competitions and I was like an Eva Beaver. Yeah. And um, yeah, and it was just, I looked around the side there was lots of glamour lots of blondes lots of and I just um, met David Weaselman mm-hmm. um, who is now my business partner and my best friend um, I met David he interviewed me and I just knew that he had a, he could be, he was an amazing hair cutter and that he could teach me so much yeah. and um, yeah so the, then I started I worked there for um, seven years as I was and then became their best staff member um, the most productive staff member um, and then I became a partner Wow. Uh, seven. Yeah. So I got And was a, that something that you had envisioned for yourself? Like, had you wanted to own a salon or be involved in that way? Or was it something that was presented to you and you were like, oh, I didn't even 
Like, how did well, that... I sort of, I knew then um, that I wanted to get in, I'd started to get into doing collections and I knew how expensive they were. Mm. And I thought um, as working as a staff member to, um, you know, I just couldn't afford to do them. Yeah. So I thought if I was a partner, then I could, you know, had a say in the business and then I could get some a budget for it so that I could move to that next step. So that was one of the main reasons. Um, and obviously, like anything, it's a natural progression. If you work really hard for um, a salon, and then, you know, eventually there has to be a reward at the end of that. And I, you know, worked there night and day and I was, you know, one of the busiest hairdressers there. So it was a natural, they didn't want to lose me. And I think, I think they felt that I would go off and do my thing, my own thing anyway, at some yeah. point, because um, I wanted that control. And also, you know, I wanted to take on managerial skills and I wanted to teach the apprentices and I wanted to do, do more partner roles. Yeah. So they offered it to me before, you know, they lost me basically. So Amazing. That's so interesting. I didn't know that until I got your bio kind of through. I didn't realize that you were part owner. That's so interesting. Love that. Yes. And I think that the the big thing about the competition industry and that what maybe can deter people is the budget. Like it's a huge thing. So how do you kind of, I guess for you, what was the point of doing them and what makes it be like, okay, I am going to put this amount of my money into this collection and what what's the reward of winning these titles I guess for the payback of the cost of well that's right I mean you win these um, awards and you get nothing financially back so it's a huge that's outlay. why I always you found know. it like why are you guys doing this like what's yeah, the- it's a huge it's a huge so basically you're in the red the whole time you're in the red yeah. um but then they provide you with opportunities and that is where um you know you can make extra money from it to pay you know, for your awards. I'm a national ambassador for Swashcock Professional. Okay. Um, and I'm, you know, hair director at Brisbane Fashion Week. Um, I just did a collaboration last weekend with Romance Was Born in Sydney um, on a farm where I had like free range over the hair. It was the most amazing experience. Um, and all of these things, I would never get the opportunities, nor would I be paid mm-hmm. for had I not won the award. So it provides opportunities. And I think, but, you know, and I, I say this to everyone, you cannot start by going straight into Australian hairdresser of the year. Yeah. There is a natural um, progression and there's a, you have to start at the very bottom and work your way up through all the states and the create, you know, um, apprentice of the year through to the creative force and then through to the state and then through to the you know so on and so on so um and really even before that you need to start at the local like the hbaa competitions or the color trophy or where it's just one you know one shot american crew has one shot um you know there's a uh, well trend vision there's all these competitions that's just one shot or yeah. they're, they're done live and they're a lot more affordable and that's where how you get your name out there that's because if you're going to go it is such a good tip. And we've all yeah. done it. Looking back at all the past winners, you know, I remember being on a competition floor next to Joey on one side of me and Linda on the other. Yeah. And we were doing live models back at HBA or IHS back in those days, you know, um, 15 years ago. And we all used to do those live competitions. And that's how we learned the whole process of model selection, you know, planning the hairstyle, planning the outfit, planning the concept, practice. And then your execution. Yeah. And that's, you know, rather than just heading, I want to do a collection, six photos. That's a big ask for someone with no experience. So if you start, you know, the one, one, one shot, you know, with the, and learn what it takes and what you need to do. I think that's a great idea. I think that's really, really good. That's great. Hot tip. Yeah. That's going through the perks and all those things. Now, I would love to, obviously you have just one Australian hairdresser of the year, and this is the second time 
So is there like a limit on how many times you can win an enter that? Like, can you forever be the Australian hairdresser of the year now? Like, uh, well, uh, <laughs> look, the all-time best is six, I think, and that's Shane Hemming and Frank Apopolopoulos yeah. has won five times after him. Um, and that's across the two different um, platforms, um, Hair Expo, which is now um, renamed and under Linda, um, Linda's Mocker brand, which is AHIA, um, and then AH. Um, AHFA which are the ones that are coming up they close next month I'm entering those as well um look I don't know I'm just going to keep going I just and I think that um when the we were talking about this morning actually when you are really active um you have to do a submission so it's not just the collection it's the submission and that's what you do for the industry so obviously if you have a break or take a couple of years off your submission is very weak so you're actually Mm -hmm. better if you're going to go for it you're better just to keep cracking year after year after year um because your submission of all the opportunities and the you know the last competitions gets better and better so you know when you when you submit that you're saying you have to not only do you have to make this amazing collection you have to show what you're contributing to the industry to the industry yeah, yeah that's so interesting I think maybe people wouldn't know that that it's not just that you film or shoot these photos you have to write a whole thing about it that is also another layer that could be quite challenging for someone maybe you have the skill of I can create these amazing avant-garde shoots but I don't have the verbal ability or the you know or the um confidence to be doing things externally as well so that's a huge thing to understand that not only did you put this beautiful collection together you've done all these other things on the side as well and that's right and I remember when I won um, Hair Expo Australian Hitters of the Year in 2019 you find out your scores afterwards and my photos won across pretty much across the board but my submission got fourth so I knew from looking at my points so out of the six finalists my submission was fourth Wow. So I knew I had some work to do. So then I decided, okay, I'm going to take on some roles. And that's when I became the president of HBIA, which is now ARA here in beauty, yes. um, which is a voluntary position, which okay. is quite time consuming. Um, and, and, you know, but I do enjoy that because, you know, I'm about to have a meeting this afternoon. I'm going to um, run the student apprentice barber um, of the year. I've decided I'm going to run that competition for Melbourne. Oh, cool. uh, later in the year so I get to do things like that which is amazing um, and that I think really helps um, with your submission taking on yeah. voluntary roles I also mentored people that didn't work for me so girls that were you know in competition salon that needed help with their submissions yeah. um, and their photo shoots I helped them with their hair and was just a, like a consultant for them um, again things like that really really help um, yeah, so just giving back to the industry, I guess, is it's really important. And you know, if we do, if we didn't do that, if we didn't do all the voluntary stuff and help, then you know, I think the the industry would be in a much worse place. So yeah, yeah. I think that's really important for people to know that something that sometimes bothered me within the industry was like all the stuff that we do for free. You know, I think sometimes when yeah. you're an apprentice coming up, being like well, oh my God, I've been at this shoot for 14 hours. And you know, why? what other job do people not get paid in? But it's about the fact that that's what gets you to the next point. Like I don't get paid doing these interviews and I it's not even a thought in my mind. Like I just love doing this. I love talking. I love hearing everybody's story and doing that. And to you, I feel like that's probably how you feel about doing the mentoring. It's just something that you're happy happy to do. It doesn't, and it's like it it's such a rewarding to help someone, and then they have success. Um, you know, um, Amber Lee, I helped her. She wanted to enter the Hot Shots team, yes. and I, yeah, Amber Lee, and what? Um, 
yeah, and she actually won and got a place on the hot shop team. She was so that was like a huge thing. I helped her put her application. I gave her opportunities to work on stage with me so that she could have content to use for her application for the hot shop team. And I went to her photo shoot. I helped her on the day, and you know, and I didn't do the hair. I just helped her to yeah. try and get her vision that she wanted from here to there, um, yeah. just through talking and showing and things like that. But you know, and you know, the, you, we've all seen that on Instagram that that meme that says, um, "I'm I'm the hairdresser I am today from all the years of assisting." And it's you know, it is so true. It really is. Every time you actually give your time and go somewhere you learn something and yeah. that actually just is, all goes into your brain and at some point that will come out again the skills that you saw and learned 100%. so yeah I would go be like oh yeah I'll just come do because for me I specialize in color right so being at the shoot sometimes for me I'm not really that helpful being on on a shoot yeah, yeah. I had Sharon Blaine <laughs> asked me to go help her on a shoot one time and I was like I'm happy to come but I don't think you do you know that I'm not going to be of any help to you <laughs> but it is just uh, yeah. extra hands of someone to go get the lunch and the coffee or hold the way the weave while you braid it like whatever you know those extra hands make such a difference on days like that and it's true you just get to observe for me to see somebody like her or any of the shoots I've gotten to go on to just watch how it operates you pick little tidbits out of everything you're so right it's so true Sharon Blaine is um you know well, she's an amazing woman. I really adore her. And, um, you know, she's so supportive of hairdressers and especially female hairdressers. And, she, you know, she's always such a wonderful, you know, yeah. really, she's a, you know, really nice person to be involved with. I've been with. really I love fortunate her. to have her in my corner, which has been nice from moving over mm. here. She's always been somebody when I moved that has, you know, if I needed something or I didn't know something was quite right, I'd ring her, you know, to be able to have her has been really helpful for me navigating. My and, it, and it's funny because what she does, she has the fundamental, like to her, the absolute essential basics of styling hair. Like yeah. everything, when you watch her, she's the queen of the backcombing. You know, all the skills that then if you're going to go and do, you know, you have to learn everything that she does because she's the queen of it. But then to, you know, you put it on a bit of a more modern spin for your collections. But it's really what she's taught you that you just recapture. Yeah. Now, do you think that winning the second time is different than winning the first time? Like, what's the difference, I guess, between the 2019 win and the 2021 win? Did Where is it like less exciting, more exciting? Um, probably about the same amount of excitement. It was, yeah. <laughs> I was so, I mean, it's, it's a terrible sitting through all of those other awards and, you know, like when you know you're up for the, yeah. And it was on at 11 o'clock. So we got there at seven. It's a very long, yeah. long night. Um, and every time I turned around, my husband and my business partner had taken my glass of wine away and put water there. So <laughs> just, just in case. When I said to you on the yeah. plane, I was like, you had to go do the morning show in the morning. Weren't Absolutely. You yeah. Well, and I didn't know that I was going to win. You never know. Yeah. And this is the thing. It's like, you know, people say, did you know that you were going to be like, no, no way. There was yeah, like any one of us, any one of us could have won. And I've seen that so many times in that room where I think, okay, that person's going to win because that's the one that I like and they don't win and someone else wins so really you just don't know until they call out your name you have no idea so every time you go there I mean I guess I've been there before um you know but it was still really really nerve-wracking and I was as, as, all the I mean Charlene won she would have felt the same um oh, and just she's a, coming the, on the next week of, I'm raining oh, all the winners it, to get on I'm like this is gonna be my next role <laughs> 
It's, and it's not just the winning, it's the making the speech. It's like, oh, my God, and you just don't want to forget any. I forgot my husband this year. Oh. Um, I forgot to thank him, you know, and I, <laughs> I always forget someone. And so, you know, it's just it's, it's, it's all a lot of pressure on the heart, to be honest. But it was, yeah. And we didn't even know that we were going to get there for two weeks. We were told that from Victoria we had to nominate someone to say our speech for us. So in my mind, I didn't think I was going until yeah. the day before. Well, that's exactly so yeah. what it was like. I'm like, I have two. Two nails on. I haven't had my hair yeah. done in two yeah, years. Exactly. I'm like, I'm not going. I'm just not going. I don't have a dress. Yeah. And we were in lockdown, right? For the well, first that's the, why. two weeks. I was like, up. I'm not going, like looking like a ragamuffin. <laughs> And if, and if I thought that I was going, I probably wouldn't have eaten all that extra chocolate at night watching Netflix. And do you know what I mean? I would have been on a different regime. And like, in my oh mind, I didn't think god. I was going. So yeah, when I got to go, I was like, oh my god, I'm here. you know, it was all it was all a lot. The morning show was a huge um, privilege. It was yeah. probably one of the coolest things I've ever got to do. Linda got that opportunity um, for the Australian. I mean, you know, I don't think there's been on an Australian winner on the morning show for many years. Um, mm-hmm. And that was all her PR company. Um, so Joanne Coles organized that through uh, Lily Blue. And that was a really surreal experience. So I had like, I think four drinks for the, over the whole night. And that was, you know, one that was, a, that was that you know, was 25 glasses of water because um, I wanted to be fresh for that because I knew I had a responsibility to, yeah. to Linda um, to, um, you know, I wanted to announce the brand and AHIA and get that, get that across. And I knew I wanted to um, announce the salon's name and just sort of like, come across natural you know and not yeah, too totally. yeah so it was a real it was an amazing opportunity they were lovely and it was really cool to be involved in that oh, good for you that's so cool and I'd love to just go back a little bit to you being the president of ARA now right it's no yeah, longer yep, HBIA yep, mm-hmm. so can you walk us through that and like how that opportunity happened for you and what it means to be in that position and well, um, so they offer, obviously, they offer employment services, though, you know, like at a hair and beauty association that you become a member. So okay. there's many salons that are members. So, um, and you ring up and you can get them. So we ring them all the time about employment, you know, like different pay increases and, and, and you know, because they've got the lawyer services. So okay. it's a actually really important service that for salon and salon owners, they have a lot of policy, um, they have, you know, contracts on their website, things like that. So um, also, they ran, and the main reason that I wanted to be involved, they ran the big competitions that we have the in live Victoria. Competitions, yeah, yeah, the live. And Victoria is one of the only states that these competitions were actually really popular. So, you know, I've been a judge um, for them, you know, many years at HBOA. Okay. So uh, we used to get over five hundred entrants. So, and that was amazing to watch that competition every year. That all the top salons entered, all the little salons entered. Yeah, everyone, I've done it once. You know. There's, yeah, it was this wonderful opportunity for hairdressers could go and get a start in competition hairdressing. And I felt that's where I got my start in Victoria. And I felt they were really important. That So I, so initially I sat on the board because I wanted to help with that, um, with the organisation of those competitions and ensure that they continued. Um, so what happened with the HBIA, it then um, joined the Australian Retails Association. Um, so now we even have more things that we can offer our members and bigger resources. So now um, then they said to me, will I be chair? And I agreed to do that. And they thought that I was the perfect person because obviously I'm Australian Hitters of the Year. And the reason I've got involved with this is I want to ensure the future of the, you know, those, those competitions because they actually don't make any money for the association. Um, they run at a loss or they barely break even. But I think it's still really important to keep them continuing. Because do and you the feel like those of are the year. things that 
um, excite new hairdressers seeing that like that's what you think is really important to spark that in them in the beginning Absolutely. Yeah. The Apprentice Awards, you know, like the very, you know, there's a, the perfect ponytail, which was a competition where you could just do a ponytail on a model. Like yeah. I looked around and I just saw the joy in all those competitors doing those ponytails and anyone can find a model to do a ponytail, you know, it's yeah. a long hair model. And, you know, and I just thought we are actually doing something for the youth here. That's a really positive thing. And the person that won and got second, got third, you know, they, you, you really are igniting something and it's starting yeah, something that's totally. really important. So, yeah. That, I completely so, agree with you. That was the first thing that I was like, oh, well, I'll start with this because I worked at Rock Ebony for a long time and that's something that they were so involved in and I was like, well, oh, I, can they do, loved it. I can do yeah. one of these at least. I can do the perfect blonde or the Insta blonde or the unicorn hair or, you know, those things that maybe I'm not at a point where I'm ready to shoot a whole collection or, you know, had that vision. But it, you're totally right that it, it did open that door to being like, oh, I can do one of these. And it teaches you the skills that's required to put together a look, you know, and I've seen that yeah, evolve, so cool. you know, how these competitions have evolved. So it used to be very creative based with, you know, like hairlines up here and shaved and cropped. But now we've got, it's really important that we have a lot of, con, you know, commercial, yeah. more beautiful sections. You know, the festival hair, which yeah. is basically braid, a braiding section, you know, um, and then you, as you said, unicorn hair, like, you know, so there's something for everyone in these competitions. So I'm basically in this position to fight for those. I don't think they will happen this year because of the COVID with the restrictions of the mm. hotel that they didn't oh, want. Right. We found it, we looked at it, we found it very hard to get a hotel to let us um, have so many people come and go. Um, that the apprentice awards hopefully will happen and the barber and the student awards will happen this year, but the hopefully we'll get the live competitions back up and running next year. Oh, how exciting. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. I really wanted to hear about your position in, in that. So what do you think would be the thing that when you say is deterring people from entering this industry and you're having a hard time, you've had an ad up for months for an apprentice, where do you think that's coming from? Do you think that it's still people having that, maybe their mom in the back of their head be like, oh, you have to go to university or what, what do you think is happening with that? Well, I think that um, we need to target the parents. It's really funny you should say that because yeah. I think the parents are the ones that are poisoning the minds of the, you know, and there's a lot of expectations. Everyone wants their kid to be successful and, you know, achieve and, you know, and yeah. sometimes in their mind, the university track is the only way to go be, a, you know, a white collar professional. Well, there's lots of other ways. And, you know, like if you look at all the tradies, not just hairdressing, but plumbers, and, you know, we're now becoming the rock stars of the, 100%. the industry because, you know, we've got more flexible working hours, you know, mm -hmm. and also we're making more money. So it's yeah. just, yeah. Well, <laughs> so, I, I goosebumps again. I love it. I get yeah, that. But I have yeah. my, my partner is a tradie and we both feel that when we say what we do for a living, I'm a hairdresser, I'm a tradie, you know, you get that, you can't help it, that look or that, oh, like, I'm like, do you know that I work four days a week and I exactly. make amazing money and I can pick my days off and I can exactly. go in Canada day off on Thursday, <laughs> so exactly. Thursday Canada day. And I'm like, you know what? I'm taking the day off. <laughs> and, and one aspect is that once we leave that, once we leave that salon or, you know what I mean? That's it. We don't have to sit on do, you know, my husband sits and does emails all night and I think, Oh God, you know, it's yeah. like, who would, who would want that commitment? But yeah, no, it's sort of definitely, I don't know. It's an amazing industry, but I think that, you know, we're getting a lot of people that don't even show up for the interviews. So, you know, they ring up, they don't answer their phone and then they finally answer their phone and then you make an appointment and then they don't even show, show up for the interviews. And it's not just our salon. I've spoken to every yeah. single hairdresser I know, and they've all got the same problem. I don't know a single salon so, right now that isn't hiring. 
and can yeah well, it's out. I know and the other thing that there's an issue is with qualified hairdressers too yeah. that you know I'm on a I'm on a Facebook page um hair and beauty um, and I'm just looking at them screaming everyone just wants good good qualified hairdressers and I'm like that I don't know I was having this conversation last night does our model need to change of what it looks like because you know we're not attracting people are all wanting to work for themselves mm-hmm. and and you can understand it financially but yeah. then if we don't have people that are willing to work for you how are we supposed to have our businesses or you know our philosophy is we don't hire anyone we don't train yeah so I would rather just put on three apprentices that are 17 and train them you know so let's rather than steal them from other salons let's teach the young ones and that's always been our philosophy well I think that that's exactly why I wanted I know actually that's why I wanted to start this was for them to hear that you know I have this amazing life and I've been able to move around the world and the people that I've met and the friends and the and the the connections you have with your clients, all of these things is because I chose to do hairdressing. And when I went into hairdressing, I remember my granny being like, well, what are you going to do after that? Like, when are you going to go to university (laughs) after, you know? And I, all my girlfriends went to university and I felt a little bit at that time, like, oh, am I missing out? You know, that I didn't have that experience where at home, everybody moves away for uni, right? So they go and live on campus and I still stayed living at home. And I worked at the salon that I was at for eight years when I was in high school, all the way out until I moved here. And I was the first one out of my friends that bought a house. I own an apartment at home. Mm -hmm. I was the first one who went to Europe three times. I was the only one who could do that and be able to pick up and move and support myself overseas. They were all living at home with their parents and making no money out of university. And here I was. And having a massive debt, like a massive debt at the end of it. We actually get paid to learn where they have like, you know, know, having to give up a percentage of their wage for the next 10 years once they've actually actually got their degree yeah. or whatever so we get paid to learn so you know it's yeah, yeah totally I think that was I mean, the look- biggest eye-opener for me when I was like looking later on being like I'm I'm the smart one here I did exactly what I loved they aren't even working in the industry that they went to university for exactly most people aren't even got the yeah it's so crazy one of my girlfriends is still working at a restaurant after she finished university for all that time and she didn't like it so she didn't get into it and she was working at the same restaurant she worked at before and (laughs) had no passion for it like we're so lucky we are so lucky. And, and I don't know, I think that hairdressing, look, it is hard work. We all know it's hard work. And mm-hmm. it is it is really hard work being an apprentice mm-hmm. because, you know, essentially, you know, you're for the first six months, you're a glorified cleaner, aren't you? Yeah. And a tea and tidy, <laughs> you know, let's be honest. And a hair washer, you yeah. know, and you've got to do those hard yards. But once, you know, you start to get your own little clientele and you get on the floor and, you, you know, you, you get the joy and the excitement of pleasing people and making them look beautiful, it's all worthwhile. Yeah, I completely agree. Well, I think that that is just such an important thing that that as much as we can yell it and scream it and get it out there that they can know that I agree the evenings and weekends, if you don't love it, it's not worth it. But that's just so normal for me now. I don't even think about it. I, I like that I get to sleep in in the morning and can go to the gym at eight or nine and then go to work. And I have this different lifestyle and that the friends that you make through it too end up with your same hours and those become your people just as much. Absolutely. And it's like when I won this award, you know, a lot of the lovely people that sent me flowers and messages, a lot of them were my clients. Yeah. You know, it's like great. They get more so proud and so excited for you more than anyone else. And they do become, you know, a part of, you know, your, your life, really. 
And you're still doing clients on the floor. How many days are you on the floor versus do you do have like admin days now that you're in ownership? So, um, well, so I'm very lucky. I have four, there's four business partners at Weaselman. So we have all our own sort of roles. So there's two that are um, cutters. So David and myself are the hair cutters. So we look after the styling section. Uh, Dice by looks after the color section. And then I've got a, another business partner called Jay Daly who runs the salon. So she has an office. And so I'm very lucky. We have a meeting once a week to discuss all the issues. So everything is discussed and voted upon and agreed upon. But she does all the wages and all the bills. And we've got also a bookkeeper that helps us. So um, as like we all have our skills I tried to do the wages once and took me seven hours and made 100 <laughs> mistakes so I decided the bed and there that you know my time is better spent probably teaching people and yeah. doing the clients so I'm on the floor four days a week um, for, you know doing I don't know 10 to 12 14 clients a day wow. um, I do one one late night and that's a on a do a 12 hour day on a Thursday that's a killer as I'm yeah. getting now that I'm over 40 uh, the 12 hour day <laughs> is an absolute killer that last client of the day is like really hard work you know and it's oh god I'm always like that uh, poor last client doesn't get anything uh, I'm like thinking about my dinner what I'm gonna eat I haven't peed oh we're hungry (laughs) I know we're hangry we're hangry we're just like running 10 minutes late and it makes you really mad but look you know I can't you can't expect staff to do late nights if you don't do them so that's our philosophy so you know but it's getting harder and harder I have to admit um but um and there's some salons that are open till nine every night I don't know how they do it I just like I'd be but they I start at nine and I'm a morning person okay. so I start at nine in the morning and my, my first client's at nine and I'm, I'd start at eight I love it like I'd rather be there oh and my then God, finish early <laughs> yeah so and then a lot of people they can't get there most two of my business partners can't get there before 10 yeah, half past 10 you know 10 30 is my yeah, start time 10, every 30, day everyone's yeah. like but you pick your own hours. Why don't you start early? I'm like, no, that is, that's perfect for me. 1030. Yeah. I do so 1030 we're all to nine, hours. three days a week, 1030 to nine. Yeah. And that is a big day. Cause I'm specializing in color. You know, I have to do those big days to fit enough clients in, Deep but in. I would rather do that. And if I start any earlier then I'm too tired by the end. So that's 1030. And, and then also Saturday, we, we start from eight till five. That's a huge day. Saturday is absolutely yeah. massive, but then how lucky Sunday, Monday off. So, yeah. you know, totally. <laughs> now, no, I'd love, love to just off. maybe dive in. We've gone through quite a bit, but I have a little bit of this collection because I was obsessed with it. I loved it. I think it's so beautiful. I think it's so different. And when I was reading, obviously you sent me everything through, which was so nice to actually read the backstory of it. But do you think that this collection was stronger or something so different because of the year that we had that I feel like it was like an explosion of, of color and really creative and intricate hair that maybe you wouldn't have had the time or you maybe would have made the time. I don't know that having that year off, gave you more to give to well, I thought um you know I think my 2019 was very moody and dark and and yeah. I believe that um with all hairdressers you can't do the same thing twice and I'm like really well for me personally I, don't, I never want to do the same thing twice you know it'll be a variation on a look but I'm not I know you know I'm just not going to do repeat performances of the last two years of work because it's like I'm want to always come up with something different so I knew that it was quite moody, my 2019 and dark. And so this year I knew I just, yeah, I felt like I wanted to do something light and bright and happy and joyous and colorful and beautiful. And, you know, some people have said that always there's, I have a little bit of an aggression and like, you know, with my haircuts, there's always something quite creative there. And I, you know, I still had that, but the majority of them were, I wanted to be beautiful. 
you know, just, just pretty and beautiful and colorful. And yeah. it's funny because I don't color hair, but yeah. I, except for one, one look, I colored all of the hair. Oh, really? So, you know, Which I, yeah, one? I uh, the haircut I didn't do Love it. because that was um, a, a wonderful girl, Katie, um, who works for me because it was obviously all bleached white and then all toned, all those bright colours. It was a little bit above my technical expertise with the bleach, so <laughs> the forehead bleach. So I didn't do that one. But all the rest of them, um, you know, those, so all the other coloured pieces that I use, I coloured all those. So wow. and I made, and everything was make- made out of hair. Yeah. Did you make those pieces during lockdown? Was that something that you had time to be at home doing these really intricate things? Or was this something that came together after? Like, how did that? Um, I started it because I started it in 2020, to be honest, because um, I thought that I was going to be able to use it for that year. And then with everything sort of cancelled. So I started and just tapped away at it. And um, and then, you know, I worked on the new collection that I've got coming for AHFA. I worked through that through lockdown and I did a bit of everything but it was funny during lockdown I was very unmotivated for that four months yeah yeah I was very unmotivated I think think that's really good for people to hear and to know that it's not yeah that even someone like you who has this creative mind and can be so into it that you didn't feel great in that time no, I didn't feel great. I was, I found it probably the hardest place I've been in, in my adult life. Um, oh. I was obviously stressed about the business. So what I used to do, because I'm a morning person, I'd work on it for an hour a day. So I'd get up and do it, you know, in my pajamas at the dining table practice. I had mannequins set up at the dining table and I'd practice or I'd have all the hair laid out. And I'd, so rather than sit, okay, today I'm going to work on my collections and do 12 hours. Well, I wasn't in the mental state for that. Like, you yeah. know, I'd rather just tap away at things rather than having like cramming it all in doesn't work for me. So then that's my, that's sort of, you know, and I, I think that's a great place to start for someone as well. You know, tap away, start one thing, color one piece of hair, play with with one thing you know an hour a day once a week until you get a collection that's great advice because I think that you're totally right and it is important to know for me I felt like I needed something to do during lockdown there was no way I was off a little bit longer too because I was on a visa and I wasn't able to go to work even when the salons were open so I just was like if I am in this country and I can't do anything I have no way of working and how am I going to figure out how to take the next step and even for you to say that you didn't feel like doing hair 24 hours a day when maybe that's where your brain usually is is really important for people to know that you know, no matter how much you love it, you can still feel crummy. Oh, absolutely. When I'm doing a collection, it's like the whole creative process is that you half the time you're going to hate it. Yeah. And that's just, you know, it just <laughs> you'll love it. And then you'll come, you'll walk in one day and you'll see everything that you're working on, on the mannequin or whatever. And then you'll go, oh my God, that's terrible. And then the <laughs> next day you'll go, but if I do this to it, it becomes better. So then, you know, and another little trick that I have is that I'll watch, you know, when I'm doing my relax time and watching something at home, I have all my work lined up looking at me on the dining table. Mm-hmm. And it's sometimes I'll just look at it and I'll just go, oh, I know what that needs. And, and you know, that's how the sort of things evolved. I love so, that. Yeah. I love that about these conversations that I get yeah, these yeah. little these little Tips. things that come out and you're like, oh, that is such a good thing to implement into how I do it. Oh, I love that. And another lesson I'd like to share too is yeah. like there's a lot of stuff that didn't make it to that collection. So, yeah. you know, you, you, you need six photos, but really you need, I reckon, minimum of 10 to 11 looks, mm-hmm. you know, and I know that's a huge ask, um, but because half of them, well, you know, just under half won't be any good. 
Yeah. And one of the biggest lessons that I, some of the stuff that took me the longest that I was most, um, you know, I was really attached to because I'd spent hours working on it, the other ones that I cut. Really? You know, and that, yeah. that that and that was an ego thing that that I took me a big lesson to learn you know just because I spent a long time on it, it doesn't make it good yeah. so you know and then so yeah and that's how basically I work and and I always think well, I was just talking to um Leanne Cutler before this um she's working on my submission for AHFA um and it's about um you know I think uh, where was I going with that? Um, sorry, I just had a, like a moment. No, it's okay. That so many of the ah! don't make the cut, and that something. That oh yeah, yeah. To share was that what you spent the most time oh, on your ego. I believe. Yeah. So, I, and also, I believe with any person doing a collection, you need to show your skills. Mm. So I say this to anyone that wants to learn. So show your skill. Show not just you know like. I think it would be very hard for this moment in time for a collection of six haircuts to win. Mm. I just I'm not we're not seeing it overseas and we're not seeing it in Australia um but the, yet I still think that you need some haircuts in your collection um so you know but you need to show that you can style hair as well as cut hair so why not show as many skills as possible why not show you can style hair color hair cut hair you know and then try and get the best of all your you know abilities and I believe that that's my own formula but you know showing as many skills as possible but yeah. I believe that if you look at any good collection or any successful collection from anywhere in the world you'll see that it's not one thing repeated it's like a little bit of everything of skills and do you find that a lot that you're looking at a lot from international stuff, like really seeing what's going on over there because of our seasons being different here? Like that's something I've had to really adjust to in my move and yeah, stuff we're, that <laughs> we're opposite. We're behind. Here. We're Yeah, we're behind. I mean, I wasn't um, going to say it, but. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely I, i'm like such yeah. a stalker my whole instagram is just here you know like i'm stalking everyone you know what they're doing at all times um you know angelo seminari errol douglas um eugene solomon you know all the top people guido of course everything that he puts up on instagram he does a show over in milan and an hour later all the hair is on instagram so you know and and as i say to people try not to copy but be yeah. inspired by yeah Love it. Well, I find you very inspiring and I really appreciate you sharing your time with us. And yeah, I think it's such a big thing. I really wanted to capture the moment and get you as soon as possible after your win so that it was fresh in your mind and to get people while they're paying attention and watching to get listening and hearing. I think it's just really important to hear the background and all the work that goes into it and the little tips that you have will be so helpful to somebody making that decision and knowing where to navigate through to get to that point. Absolutely. And, you know, it's like been a crazy ride. And, you know, one thing that stays with me in my head is that Andrew O'Toole has said to me along the whole way and the whole journey um, is that he can only shoot what you bring him. So if you are going to do a collection, just remember that, he, you know, any photographer, no matter what price range or if you're just starting out or you're a season, he can only, you know, that photographer, good male or female, can only shoot what you bring them. So, yeah. you know, having that preparation and being prepared and, and you know, having lots of options Um, it really ensures for really a a successful shoot. Yeah, you're so right. If you go in with only exactly what you have and then that look doesn't pick up on camera the way you want or the model Then you've got weak, exactly, you've got weak, you've got, yeah, you've got weak links. And the whole thing with collections to lessen the weak links. So the less weak links that you have, the better chance you've got. Love it. Well, I think that that's perfect. We're right on time and I can hear the hammering starting next door. (laughs) I don't know if you can hear it, but it's like a funny construction site. 
Thank you for giving me this opportunity. And I think that you're oh, doing a really you. important thing. And I really hope that it takes off and you get all thank the success you. that you deserve because it's really important. And just your enthusiasm for the industry and, and, and you know, you, like, like me, you know, we've got to practice what we preach and we've got to try and make this industry, you know, better and attract people. And yeah, so it's been great to be involved. And I thank oh, you thank so much. Thank you. I appreciate you willing to give your time to me. And hey, we'll thank Virgin Australia for putting us together on yeah. that flight. That was the best. I owe you a wine you got me yeah a wine. i owe you one <laughs> yeah <laughs> done i'll take you up on that offer all right have an amazing day okay bye thanks for listening to this week's episode of the successful stylist unfoiled don't forget to follow like and subscribe on spotify itunes and youtube to get all the notifications of our weekly episodes